Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinus. Makalua. The man team. Mega Bears fan. Hello and welcome to Polycast episode 386. I'm the man team and I'm joined by Makalua. I've been jabbed and now I have brain fog. What? Mega Bears fan? I have to get better at doing this whole uh, polycast Twitter thing. Did you just remember? (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully later on, Canis Alvinus. Tempted to to say something he would not agree with in his spot, but let's not. And our first topic for today is a PC Games N article titled How Civilization Could Make Its AI Fight Smarter. And uh, we all love talking about uh, our wish lists for making the AI better, uh, you know, from our armchair video game developer positions where everything should be perfect and there are no technical limitations at all. And programmers are all infallible, uh, but hopefully this I don't actually. Think believes that one. <laughs> well, no, we don't actually believe it, but you know, a lot of times people on uh, the internet talk as if that the, those things are the case. Well, they um, talk as if they expect them to be, but they certainly don't talk as if they believe they are. <laughs> well, oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I stand corrected. Um, but hopefully this uh, article offers some actual practical uh, solutions. So it, it starts out by, uh, you know, talking about some of the common problems with uh, Civ AI in particular, and some of which we've brought up on this show many times, such as the fact that the AI just gets a bunch of bonuses at the start of the game, and once you kind of defeat an AI or two, even at the hardest difficulties, you can snowball in the last half of the game or third of the game or whatever, uh, can actually become even easier because you've got all these really buffed up AI cities that uh, are even better than any of the cities that you possibly could have uh, managed to build and grow. So, you know, you kind of turn the AI's bonuses into your bonuses midway through the game and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, you know, there's also an acknowledgement that Civ in particular is uh, very heavily reliant on uh, RNG, uh, particularly if you have the Gathering Storm expansion, which will randomly just occasionally destroy a bunch of your stuff with uh, not so much that you can do about it. But at least there's a slider to turn that down. Yes, but not to turn it off, which is uh, important. Well, I, I mean, we've talked about it before. There's so many mechanics in Gathering Storm that, like, rely on the disasters, and if they don't happen at all, all that stuff just yeah. kind of... Like, you, you'd you never build aqueducts, you know? Or you wouldn't need to, other than, you know, maybe for extra housing, but... Yeah, or dams. Yeah, dams would... I mean, you'd get... they. I guess maybe part of the motivation for adding, uh, you know, really big 
adjacency bonuses to industrial hubs for uh, dams and aqueducts was to encourage players to build them more often, even with disasters turned really low, uh, because they're really substantial buffs. You can tuck an industrial hub in between a dam and an aqueduct. Uh, it's going to be a pretty good industrial hub. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, they also, interestingly enough, compare Civ to, like, a first-person shooter and say that Civ's idea of increasing difficulty levels is analogous to a first-person shooter that just adds more enemies and gives them more hit points uh, without actually making them smarter or, you know, making them better at doing, like, flanking or, you know, focus firing and uh, avoiding taking the damage to begin with, you know, taking cover. Uh, stuff like that. So... Yeah, it has improved. I would say that's a good analogy, to be fair. Yeah, it's improved over the course of Civ, I mean, the course of the whole series, and even in Civ 6, but there's still some things the AI, they just can't seem to teach it to do, like naval invasions. You're still very safe if you're on another continent. Yeah, every iteration of Civ has always seemed to be very bad at uh, using navies, and Civ 6 in particular was also very bad at air units. It took, like, what, till the second to last patch? For yeah. New Frontiers before they, like, finally increased the AI's willingness to even build planes to begin with. Yeah, that, that was rough. Whereas for, like, the first, uh, what, Civ Six came out in 2016, it's 2021 now, so for, like, five years of the game's, or four and a half years of the game's existence, the AI just refused to build planes. I think I saw one AI airplane during that entire four or five year run before the patch. Now, the AI's never been good with air, but at least in previous versions it used it. Right, so at least when yeah. you would, like, attack them with your planes, their planes would intercept. Like, a lot of times you'd have a jet fighter and they'd have a biplane and you would just shoot it down, right? But at least there was an effort, you know, to... It would bomb you, too. At least in Civ War it bombed you. It wasn't particularly brilliant with its targeting or... Yeah, how it allocated its resources at it, but it made bombers, and then when you put your units near it, it would bomb them. So, yeah. I that think was something. And I think Civ Five was also halfway decent at using its bombers to try to soften up your units. And I don't know, did Civ Five? Did, did any of you ever see Civ Five like use its bombers to do like the uh, bombing raids or whatever on like uh, resources or tiles to pillage them? I think it was Remember. still better at defending that. I don't think it really thought of that. Whatever risk calculation it used, it decided not to do that in case you had units out or something like that. But it was still better than ago. the initial Civ 6 AI. It's a blur. What what the AI did when? <laughs> in which iteration? <laughs> Civ 5? That's like more than five years ago. What? So what interests me about this article is that they bring up the... Uh, machine learning stuff in the context of other games, particularly Dota 2 and StarCraft 2 are uh, examples where the machine became significantly better than the best players out there. And I've seen some arguments in the thread that that just couldn't be done uh, for Civilization 6, for example, or 7 in general, because there's so many variables. And I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> With how good it got at things like Go and whatnot, I, I think that scales up pretty easily. If you can take away all the things that make the game run slow and just have it run, you know, the mechanics in the background 
for however many, like 10,000 years of Dota games, for example, uh, to get the Dota 2 AI to play that way. If you do that with Civ games and have a turn take a fraction, like a tiny fraction of a second, so that AI can play like millions of games, I, I do not believe for a moment that it could not get the AI into a state that humans could beat it. And, you know, I'm not a... Oh, go ahead, Mackie. I was going to say, considering the amount of decisions per second for any sort of a Dota or a StarCraft it has to make, how could the Civ AI not be trained to be able to do that when it has time to stop and think, actually? Yeah, I was going to say know, the same actually. thing. Because, like, uh, some, of the, some of the decisions you make in those, you don't even think about uh, as you're making them. Like, you're spacing relative to other uh, other heroes and whatnot. Uh, but certainly mechanically, things like hitting last hits on like random units, AI is going to be better at that than humans because it is perfect reaction times. Now, perfect reaction times are not too important for turn-based, but the AI could certainly solve any optimization problem when it comes to yields. So if it chooses to optimize for a particular yield or optimize for total yield or whatever, it, it could do that in a way humans just... It would, it would take them ages to accomplish the same task and even then, the human might not be as good, but certainly the human would not be better because the AI would be getting the absolute maximum output that it wants for any given thing. And if it's learned through millions of games uh, to prioritize the best thing, then it's going to be pretty hard to outplay it on the economic side of things, too. Uh, and, and when it comes to military choices, yeah, it's a, military choices in Civ are far simpler than either StarCraft or Dota. If you just compare military choices and Civ to military choices in those games, I think the, those games are centered on it more so. Yeah, I think the thing that would make it harder for Civ is that uh, compared to you know an RTS like uh, Dota or would Dota be considered an RTS? I don't I don't know if that's the right label for it. But, it's, uh, it's a MOBA, but a MOBA is a subset of RTS. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like something like that or StarCraft, uh, where these sorts of uh, machine learning algorithms are being employed, like, I feel like Civ also has that those multiple levels of decision making that those RTSs don't necessarily have, you know, because Civ has the, the Empire scale stuff, and then also the smaller scale tactical stuff. And that's kind of where I worry about even a machine learning algorithm, because even if it's maximizing its yields and productions and stuff like that, is it then also using those in the correct way because one of the problems that civs ai has always had is the answer the, is yes if yeah. you watch alpha star the answer is yes all right i mean maybe but one of the problems that uh, that civ has always had is it will prioritize things in its cities and then game conditions will change like a war will start and it doesn't change its priorities accordingly so maybe it was building wonders and then you declare war on it when it's in the middle of building a wonder, and it has its cities devoted to building wonder. Sure, it's maximizing production for uh, for wonders, but what it really needs to be doing is building or buying units, because then yeah. you just roll through with your military, and it doesn't have a defense against that, because it's spending all its production on wonders and infrastructure, and not on units. And Civ Six in particular, for the past, like, at least year or two, has been very bad at... Um, building military units like past like the classical or medieval era so once all their units early in the game die they don't yeah, really so put I'm much aware effort of what the, the current of 6 ai does but my prediction i don't know this for sure but my prediction is that the civ 6 ai would be attacking you with military units before you consider declaring war on it because military is a dominant choice you know you need the tech to actually win the wars 
and they have an admissible optimizing for that too. But I am sure it would build and utilize military units because if you don't, you lose. And that would probably come up in its learning algorithm relatively quickly uh, in terms of long-range strategic decisions anyway. I mean, yeah, the long-range strategic decisions would take a while to manifest under machine learning. But once they do, I'm sure we'd see plenty of military. It would eventually play through enough games that end up like what happens in the Saturday multiplayer game all the time. Whereas when we go to attack the AI, it just keeps building that wonder or more expensive infrastructure thing and doesn't stop it and start producing units like a human would. So after it played a thousand games where that kept happening, it would probably eventually get a clue that if a human attacks, drop what you're doing, build units. Hopefully. I have no doubt. <laughs> Just because I've seen what it does in the StarCraft games. Like, I've watched a lot of the AI versus human StarCraft games against high-level players in the ladder and against professional players. And while it doesn't quote-unquote think like a human, it can algorithmically handle new information and adjust to that new information in a way that is very difficult for humans to beat. As in, the best people in the world can't do it anymore. So I don't see how that doesn't translate. Like, if somebody is counterbuilding you in StarCraft, you need to adjust what you are doing. You need to adjust what you're building. And you need to do that sometime in advance so that you're not caught completely with your pants down, lose your army, and lose your base before you can react. AI is no trouble doing it against the best StarCraft players in the world. So I, I find it difficult to believe that the AI couldn't see an attack coming based on information available to you in the game. Because as a human player, you certainly could. And make adjustments for that. If it's not itself attacking you instead. Yeah, like, whereas... You have to think about the number of different factions we have in Civ, whereas StarCraft only has the three and they're kind of rock, paper, scissors to each other. They're yes. not. Any yeah, any of the factions of. in StarCraft can beat the other factions reliably. Yeah, they have more... Di- I almost want to say more are... direct counters, but... The thing is, at least Civ's units are quantified into different classes, so the AI would know to pick from that class to counter this class. Well, that's in Civ Six as well, though. You have the, right, yeah. the anti-cab, well, you have cab, you have infantry. Yeah. So they would be very similar in that regard, except for we would probably see things we that you wouldn't predict based on just the cl- <laughs> uh, categories, because honestly, Civ Six counter units don't always do the best job necessarily, oh, and the AI yeah. would pick up on that. I mean, no issue for machine learning to pick up on what's effective and what isn't. Yeah, I mean, assuming it, it plays enough games. And that's, I guess, it might be another hurdle to doing machine learning is getting it to play enough games, considering <laughs> that a match of Civ takes so much longer than a batch of StarCraft or Dota. You know, you take I think some... a lot of that comes down to the, the, the UI and the you know, graphics processing and all that, though. And I think these programs strip that out when they're simulating the game. Well, but do you have to have the AI play these training games against humans, in which case these matches could take hours or potentially multiple days for the human to play? Or can you get away with just training the AI against itself? You train it against itself. That's how the... um... That's how the chess AIs got so good. And how the StarCraft AI and such got so good. They played training games against themselves. Hmm, okay. But yeah, I guess that's not nearly so much of a hurdle as I thought it might potentially be. It's kind of funny, because, like, the AI, because it's not, you can't think like a human, right? So it's much less efficient at improving its game than a human who's trying to improve their game is at that. Like, the amount of time it would take a human 
is is tiny. However, the AI can run the effective simulation of like you know most of the human history if you want to. So yeah, it's sooner a... or later, just through dumb trial and error, it's going to stumble into the most effective tactics, reads, counter reads, reactions. So it just it it winds up with an algorithm that effectively plays the game better than any person can play it. Yeah, it's a, the AI training is very much an evolutionary approach where it just makes a bunch of, you know, semi-random decisions, most of which are going to be stupid and won't work. But when something does work, it uh, elevates those and uh, does it again and prioritizes them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see anything in Civ that's quote-unquote special that would make it the AI incapable of doing what it's already done in Go, StarCraft, etc. Right. And uh, and we're not the only ones who saw this article either. Uh, there's also a forum topic started on Civ Fanatics by Shaka Hulu. Um, that's an interesting image. Uh, titled, <laughs> Fixing AI Should Be Easy. Uh, I don't know how, how easy it, it would still be, even with the machine learning, but uh, this user uh, cites the exact same article we were just talking about in, in the original post, and then uh, says... Uh, in my opinion, correcting Civ combat AI, so right off the bat, this user is also kind of ignoring the economic and domestic side of things, but anyway, uh, combat AI should be remarkably simple. Run an algorithm that checks to see if you can, one, kill any enemy units without losing any of your own, or two, kill any enemy units while using units of lesser value than the ones you kill. Uh, yeah, seems simple, um... But, uh... Never works out simply. In in practice, practice, yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, even for a human, that's a complicated thing to do. And, you know, I, I know I spent a lot of time early on in Civ Six in particular, like, save scumming and retrying things to figure out what the heck actually would work best, especially with Civ Six's more punitive movement rules, where it was just harder to get into position to make my attacks. But yeah, this user says, frankly, a computer should be able to do that sort of calculation way better than a human. And like, again, yeah, in principle, they should. But the, you know, computer needs to be trained to know all the rules of the game. And in a game with so many, you know, variables and moving parts as Civ, that's, you know, it's not as easy as training a computer to play chess, where you have like, uh, what, nine different pieces, each with their own rules. And like, that's pretty much it. I'm I'm just reminded of that stupid Civ Five trick where you could bait the AI with a worker and then just kill that same the unit that takes it and then leave the worker there over and over again. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, there's there's a few things you might have to have the AI play a few games against humans to figure out that oh I shouldn't do that. Well, I would be very surprised if you had your you know ten thousand plus year machine learning AI doing that. It would probably evaluate the presence of military units near the worker and consider it unsafe still that's one that's the type of thing that you get from the op's post where you have the ai always look to do x when y yeah and then humans notice that the ai always does x when y and abuses it and it's, it's just a matter of how many games you can train the ai uh with because if you run enough games even ai against ai one AI will eventually try running, you know, settlers or, or builders or workers or whatever, civilian units, out into the fog of war without escorts. And the other AI is going to stumble onto capturing that unit, 
And then if you run enough simulations as well, you'll have the first AI will eventually try uh, having units in reserve that can easily kill the other unit and capture this, the civilian. And then the other AI will learn that's not good play. And if you play enough simulations, eventually that will happen. It's just a matter of, again, if you have enough computers and have enough time during development to run that many simulations. Because one thing to also keep in mind is when we're talking about Dota and StarCraft and chess, well, we'll ignore chess and just go with Dota and StarCraft because they're relevant. The developers, I don't think, designed these learning algorithms. And even if they did, they didn't do it while the game was in active development. Because one of the things that's going to be really tricky to do in a game in active development when you're trying to implement the actual game AI to do these things as opposed to it being a post-release mod is even the game rules are still in flux all the way up to the release of the game. And heck, in the modern day, the game rules are still in flux thanks to patches and updates after the game is released. So you have to... I mean, I assume you could probably set it up so that you're training the AI in increments to do the specific things that the game currently has implemented during development. But you're still going to run into problems where you need to have the game rules finalized to a point early enough in development that you can run these large numbers of machine learning simulations uh, and get, you know, meaningful results from them. Because if... If, you know, the game is like a week from going uh, gold or or platinum or whatever the heck they call it when it's ready to ship, uh, and you still haven't trained the AI, uh, you're going to be having problems. (laughs) Maybe you can train it quickly, question mark? That's possible in principle, but good luck with it. Yeah, you just have to have a shit ton of very powerful computers. Is that for, like, an adversarial strategy game like this? There really should be no reason you could not design the game first. In fact, you should design the game first. Without question, that that should be a thing. Well, but you're still going to have player playtesting, and they're going to provide feedback of even if things are very precisely designed, you're still going to have players and playtesting who are just going to be like, I don't like it. And then yeah, they're no, going to... Sure, but you know. like all of this should be happening before you make an AI. Like The AI is a part of the game, but the AI is not a mechanic. It is a. It is taking the role of a player. Now I'm talking about the AI that takes over control of a civilization. Obviously, I'm not talking about like other like sub AI routines, like worker automation and stuff like that. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. That that is well, it's, it's a poorly implemented mechanic thing, but it's still a mechanic, or it's still close enough to a mechanic. I don't know. The the problem with making worker automation too good is via uh, like machine learning or something is that it would play the game for you. You would like you would always automate your workers because you'd never outperform them, which would be interesting. But I don't know, like why even have workers then? <laughs> but you could just not have that kind of automation. Yeah, and the uh, the first response, by the way, on the Sifanatics uh, thread is uh, from Black Butterfly, which says, or just play humans, <clears throat> which, uh, again, sounds nice in principle, but uh, in practice... Uh, if you doesn't... want to play at 5 o'clock in the morning, you don't necessarily have a human available for a multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. all the other issues with it. Well, I mean, it's hard enough to get, you know, three, four, five or more players together to play a board game that's going to take, you know, four or five hours, 
you know, if you, if you, especially if, if you're the kind of player who likes to play like longer, like epic or marathon Civ games, oh, yeah, I mean, you're never good, getting anyone for that. Good luck getting, unless you just have like a group of friends who are also just really into the same style of playing that you are, you're not going to be able to find people who are going to play those matches and, you know, stick with them for the, you know, multiple sessions. That's required. It's like organizing a, you know, a D and D campaign. You know, you always have players who aren't available on certain days because, you know, their kid got sick or has, you know, soccer practice or whatever or, you know, things like that. Or they just drop out because they get bored or... Uh, and if the game went on, you'd want a competent AI to handle your empire for you if you had to miss a few turns. Yeah, I mean, I guess if the AI is good, then that is and, you know, might make those longer multiplayer games more viable because you could miss a session and come back and not find your entire empire burnt to the ground, hopefully. <laughs> not have them move all your units back from the front of war because you had to desync in multiplayer seen that one a few too many times <sighs> memories yeah and that's a, a big part of the reason why I don't play multiplayer Civ uh, very often because I do have a, a few friends who will play it but you know our schedules are uh, and, and this is especially because I, I live in Las Vegas, so the friends that I have who also live in Las Vegas, we all have different work schedules. You know, it's a 24-hour town. I'm working a regular 9-to-5 Monday through Friday office job, but all of my friends, almost, are in the, you know, service or retail industry, you know, or they're working at hotels, you know, even doing, like, maintenance and stuff like that, where it's, you know, it's, they're not, like, working a cash register, they're doing a technical thing, but it's at a hotel, right? So they're still working uh, swing and graveyard shifts. Uh, even doing a, you know, college-educated uh, job, because that's just the way that this city works. So, you, and, and they'll be working on weekends, too. So I'm free every night after 6 or 7 and every weekend, you know, aside from some other obligation. But all my friends are working nights and working weekends. So finding that one Friday night in a month where all of our schedules are open and nobody planned to do anything else... Uh, is really difficult to do. You just need a super style game with like a 24 hour timer and then you're all set. And I've tried doing, yeah, I've tried doing the, uh, not hot seat, but the, um, uh, what are they called? The, the play by, not play by email, email but the, the, yeah, the, the thing that they have now that's like play by email, but it, you know, you don't get emails, it's just all in the game. And, uh, you know, uh. we'll, we'll be doing that on and off for like a few weeks and like, we're lucky if we get into or through the classical era, you know, before we one or both of us just stops booting up the game to check the status. And one thing that would really help, too, is if there was a way to transition a multiplayer game, like, from a, you know, simultaneous session to the more asynchronous sessions, like, play by multiplayer. Because it would be nice to be able to start a game, right, when we're both free in, like, regular multiplayer, and then... You know, when it's time for one of us to go to bed or go to work or whatever, convert it to a play by email game so we can keep playing until we both have our schedules arranged to, so that we can play it, log in and play at the same time. That would be something that would also really help. Yeah, that would be. I would like that a lot because you could do that. If you could, especially if you could go back and forth between the two, like say you guys have another day where you could sit and play for three or four hours and you could knock out another big chunk of the game. Well, I assume if it can be converted one way or the other. In principle, like, I, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know if there's some remember. technical hurdle that prevented them from doing that with uh, with Civ 5 or Civ 6, but for uh, Firaxis, 
If you're listening, multiplayer developers, if that's possible to do for Civ 7, uh, please do it because that would make multiplayer, arranging multiplayer games so much easier, at least for me and I imagine probably for many other people. Yeah, I'm in a few Dominions, uh, five games. Although the game itself isn't well set up, they, they had to use a clockwork bots or whatever. But then you get notifications outside the game when a new turn comes. So you don't have to log in to check the turn, which is nice. You just know when a new turn is ready and play it. And that's a that's really nice. The other question that I do have for um, these machine learning algorithms is how easy it is to adjust them for uh, different difficulty settings. Is it easy to set up that AI to now make less smart decisions when it knows what all the best decisions are <laughs> so that, you know, we can still have a settler difficulty yeah. for people who have I, never played it. I, I think that would be hard, but that, I might be wrong, though. But unless you just want to take agents from, like, somewhere in the middle of the training that still kind of suck. <laughs> yeah, because that's that's another thing that's that's fundamentally different about designing these sort of machine learning AIs as the AI of the game during development, as opposed to making mods for competitive and tournament play uh, after the fact, because you still need to accommodate easier difficulty settings as well, because we're not all playing tournament level Civilization VI here. I mean... Even the three of us, I don't think, are, are playing all of our games on Deity. I, I'd never played Deity. I'm nope. on, like, Emperor still, so... When I play single player, I play on Deity. Yeah, so, of the the three of us, and I think also Canis even says, I think he plays on, like, what, King? Or something like that, usually? I, I forget. So, of the four of us on this panel, who every other week meet up to talk explicitly about civilization, uh, one of us, a quarter of us, would actually probably benefit from machine learning algorithms playing optimally. The other three of us would just, it would just make the game too damn hard and we would stop playing. <laughs> it's called, it's a good thing we're not playing say with a controller because it'd be yeeted across the room. I, I don't care how many Diddy games I win. It, it, <laughs> There's no way I could beat a machine learning AI that's, like, optimized. Once it's actually trained well enough, it wouldn't even be close. It'd just be stupid. Yeah, so there's uh, also a Twilight well, Zone... Like, you would need to give the players bonuses or something something very similar to what the AI gets now. Yeah, so we just flip, we just oh, flip so the we, script, and now the player has to. all the... I don't the... see a way around it. And now we have players complaining about how they have too many buffs and it's uh <laughs> and they don't like how it plays. Settlers too easy. I win it too often. Uh. But yeah, you also have to with something like this, it, there's very much a Twilight Zone esque "be careful what you wish for" element going on too. Because yeah, <laughs> I I honestly don't know if it's easy or even possible to ship a game with a machine learning you know play algorithm where it actually has support for easier difficulty settings. So well, now I'm starting to see like YouTube videos of people doing this stuff crop up for simpler games. You know, I, I've, I start, I'm starting to suspect that, you know, you go 10, 20 years from now and this kind of basic brute force machine learning will be pretty available. And that'll be a pretty tough thing to design around then. Like when your AI is just obviously better than any human could possibly be, uh, where do you go from there? Another uh, knee-jerk concern is uh, would implementing machine learning algorithms for something like Civ uh, then 
uh, require or very strongly encourage Firaxis to make the game always online because you would also hypothetically potentially have the machine learning algorithms also learning from the games that are being played by humans after the game ships. You know, if it, they're all connecting to a cloud and that cloud is, you know, doing some, some machine learning stuff as well based on how the players are playing, I, I would definitely expect that something like that would happen. So now you also have to wonder, well, now is the game going to be always online? And uh, is that also going to upset large chunks of the player base? I don't yes. know that that would be a major driving force in enforcing always online, as opposed to other more questionable incentives for companies to do that. I would, I would rank AI kind of low <laughs> in terms of incentives. They might use it as an excuse, but let's be honest here. That, that would be why they're totally doing to it. Train our- why not to collect all your demographic info? Yeah, totally, totally. And I, I can't. I don't have a source for it, but I, I want to say I don't know if it was for Civ Four or Civ Five. They were talking about it one time that the early version of their AI was actually too difficult on the player, and that's why they went maybe went back to the bonus and minus system because this is another concern that got brought up in the thread is that some. If you got the AI too good, it would be, like we were just saying, it would not be fun to play anymore. I don't remember this ever being a problem in Civ's existence. Yeah, I could be I could be thinking of a different series or something, but I, I remember having heard that at some point somewhere. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, if anybody watched the movie, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Actually, I think it was in the it was in the book. It wasn't in the movie. But there's a line in the book that says that the HAL 9000 was programmed to lose half of its games against the uh the humans on the spaceship so that they wouldn't go crazy and lose morale and kill each other. <laughs> so silly, but yeah, I mean, nobody nobody plays chess engines for fun with the expectation of beating them. They like use them to try to improve their games. Basically. Well, I mean, in the context of being an astronaut on a you know years long space mission with just one other person and your entertainment options being limited, that is a kind of a different environment than you know someone here who has lots of options for entertainment. Sure, but I don't know that the AI throwing the game half the time makes those victories meaningful. They wouldn't to me anyway. And well, I'm pretty I... sure astronauts. Uh, are canonically pretty intelligent people who probably realize that. Yeah, and I think the, the book. Unless yeah, let them win, they're not going to. <laughs> I think the book also says that the astronauts aren't supposed to know that it's supposed to be a secret, but it's you know a secret that everybody does know. Yeah, I mean, how could <laughs> how could you keep such a secret? I don't know. You'd have to wonder if astronauts dealing with a uh, human seeming AI wouldn't decide. To- and knowing that wouldn't decide to troll it sometimes and play deliberately stupid to see if they'll flip the AI will flip the coin and decide to let them win this time. <laughs> oh, now we know why Hal went crazy. Yeah, there you go. Because Hal, Hal went crazy because <laughs> his AI was hamstrung and playing chess and it frustrated him to the point that yes. he went crazy. <laughs> or the humans were made. I'm just gonna move my queen over here, like la 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 la. There's another Twilight Zone twist for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it'll happen, but like one or two sips from now, it would not surprise me if the if machine learning is used in some. Even if it's just for the simple routines, like the settler, like for uh, builders and such. 
optimized automated workers. Because if this becomes something that's easier to do than writing the code for the AI directly, then I'd expect we'd start seeing it, but then they have to figure out how to use it and still have the games be fun. Because that's the thing, right? Like, you need a lot of computing resources to train your AI. However, you're not programming that AI then. You're programming the training. Yeah, and that's also the question. If you have to have that AI running in the background, how much on a normal computer's resources would it use? Well, as time goes on, that's going to be less less of a bottleneck. And you're probably then saving time by using machine learning AIs rather than making the AI yourself that's inferior anyway. Yeah, I'm curious to see how they deal with this. It'll be uh, it'll be an interesting decade or two. <laughs> Go back in 20 years for podcast episode 1000 something. <laughs> oh no, I don't. <laughs> Would we even be up to a thousand by now? I mean, by then, probably. We're rapidly approaching we 400 uh, already. Because we're over three, we're over a third of the way there, right? So, yeah, give it another twenty some years, we'll probably be there. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> if we run the show on the same schedule for the next two decades, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of assumptions. But if we, if we were to do that, then yeah, we'd probably be in the thousands. I don't know about that one. Okay, so have we beaten the AI horse as much as we can before it turns around and beats us in five or ten years? <laughs> I think so. Moment. In which case, we have some uh, images here that we might look like after the AI's done with us. Take it away, Mackie. Well, actually. I was thinking we could swap those two topics since uh, the next one also kind of oh. goes well with the current topic. Oh, okay. My bad, then. So, this thread started by uh, Ted Hebert. There's a official save from the from Firaxis of a supposedly impossible save to celebrate the release of the Civ Six anthology. And so, the uh, Korea has launched a spaceship. The one in sixteen turns, and you need to come back and win, basically. And from what I'm seeing in the thread, this is more than possible to accomplish. And in fact, it's not even close to impossible. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty <laughs> sure I saw uh, either a Potato McWhiskey video about it, it and or a Spiffing Brit video about it. I didn't actually get around to watching the video, though. I definitely know there's a Potato one, because he tried it a couple of different times. And apparently the best, well, what he thought of as the best approach was to go for the culture win as Australia. But at the yeah, same time, people are winning in like four to five excuse. turns here. Yeah, I was like, "What? Yeah, possible because you're you're poised for it." And he says, "If he, I think on the when I saw him play it through the first time, if he'd made a couple of decisions, just like a turn sooner, or noticed to do it a turn sooner, then he might could have got. I don't think he thought he could have got down to the four or five, but he he could have been done it faster." Yeah, CP Wimmer on the forum said it took him just five turns to win a culture victory. Somebody else. Definitely won a Diplo victory off that save a little later on. He was trying to do that too, but he was having trouble getting those last couple of votes. Sun Tzu. Yeah, yeah Sun Tzu uh, stops the spaceship. Yeah, because yeah, that's also <laughs> a thing that's, that's a RNG. It's luck whether you can or not. 
Whether you can stop the ship? We have to get to the right spaceport soon enough to slow it down. And one of their spaceports, I think, was inland, and they do have at least one giant death robot wandering around, so... Yeah, so somewhere you can kill the stuff. Wait, does But Pil- I would imagine, does in Pil- the game, that wouldn't be too RNG, yeah, if you're playing from the specific save. Wait, does pillaging spaceports slow down the spaceship? I didn't even know that. Yeah, I didn't either. It's never come up in my games. I, I didn't until they were doing it. It's like, oh, it does, does it? Oh, well, okay. it's, it's not some. I should rephrase it. It's not so much as slowing it down, is it's preventing them from speeding it up. Because if they can launch off another mission, it goes faster and goes faster, and they can oh, down okay. the time. Oh, okay. Because it just stops them from finishing the project to speed it up. <clears throat> yes. Gotcha. Is there any way to stop the ship entirely after it's launched? Because I know there wasn't before. <laughs> take all the capitals. If you take yeah. that player's capital in Civ Six, does it prevent the winning of a space race victory? You, I, I haven't seen any evidence of that. Like, is Unless it just a rule? You, you win the game because you took the capital, but aside from that. Yeah, I, I I don't even, this is another thing that I don't even know about the victory conditions for Civ Six. is do you have to have your original capital to be eligible for a victory? Is that, like, a base rule? I don't think so. No, because you could probably lose your original capital and still win a diplomatic victory. You wouldn't have to have your capital back. I mean, yeah, especially Brett one another even settling his original capital. I mean, it definitely yeah. negates either the military or the religious victory because, you know, both of those require you to have your capital because the religions are always founded in your capital. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess not necessarily because if you lose your original capital before you founded the religion, the religion would be founded in your new capital. So you could still have the holy city and still win <laughs> yeah. without your original capital. It's just, like, good luck ever pulling that off. <laughs> yeah, you probably could on lower difficulties, but yeah, the in normal... Game progression, you would not expect to win that way. <laughs> yeah, most of the religions are founded by the time you can even get a second city built. Yeah. The AIs are so dang fast at it. Yeah, you would have to, like, deliberately throw. Like, not build a sword so you're, and not build a wall in your capital if the AI take it. Yeah. And then, uh, and then because it's low difficulty, just kill the AI's units, peace out while it still has your capital. And then go found your religion. It'd be stupid, but you could at least try it. But yeah, I don't think you can win militarily unless you have your capital. But then you probably should have your capital if you can take everybody else's. But yeah, I've not heard of destroying spaceships in progress in Civ 6 like you couldn't so far. That was always fun. The AI's like two turns from winning, you take its capital, and the mission fails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I guess this uh, impossible save wasn't quite as impossible as uh, Firaxis uh, advertised it as. Maybe if it had machine learning AI, it would be. <laughs> yeah. Probably would be then. Yeah, there's some achievements in the Paradox games that are pretty brutal. That, like, you need to be very good to get them. This is, uh, this, this doesn't look like it's at that level. Well, I guess in the meantime, you can entertain yourself with fun bugs. So what we kind of have going on here, we were talking about the outbreak of mange kind of a thing that we started to do, but uh, <laughs> RLW33 had posted some screenshots, and it's like, everybody wants to seem like Bruce Willis these days, so he's got some sort of graphic bug, 
you can see there's something going on visually on the first few ones that he did has where there's some uh, reddish texture thing going on in the face, but their hair all disappeared. So you've got what uh, Peter of Russia and Norway. I'm forgetting who's at the top, but suddenly they're all bald. It's like, wait, what? I've never seen this particular bug, but I have seen bugs on my uh, tablet where all the leaders have white hair. Yeah, because I think it was not, not too uncommon then. But then somebody said, hey, you know what? We'll, we'll just find out we'll have everybody else. Well, not, I don't think it's everybody, but it went through a lot of the other ones with the different leaders, minus the, well, depending on who they were, either the facial hair or all their hair. And it's, some of them, it's okay. Like, Genghis at least still has his hat, so it's not too bad. But taking the either the hair or the facial hair off, some people's just like, what? Yeah, some of these are much worse than others. Some of them still look okay, honestly. Yeah, one of the ones that people were freaking out was uh, uh, Scotland. Look at Robert the Bruce without either the hair or the beard. And it's like, uh? Yeah, Harold still has his uh, his full beard. So, I mean, he looks he looks <laughs> fine. He's just got a, you know, cool Viking beard uh, and a buzz cut. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of the unpredictable part, at least about the original bug ones. Is why was it only the hair on the head and not the face hair? And yeah, Mansa Musa's got a, a pretty wicked mustache going. Even though Gorgo's crown thing is kind of floating, that's actually not bad look on her. Sorry, not Mansa Musa, uh, Menelik. <laughs> oh my god, Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was down there thread. Someone got extensions. How does that even work? It's like not attached to your head. <laughs> For some reason, when Tamara lost her hair on this one, she also lost her eyebrows. <laughs> I didn't notice that the first time I saw that. Earl. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Well, now we know. Eleanor is the leader who can disobey physics. <laughs> There's no gravity on that hair. Or those golden luscious locks are not 100% real. Ooh, scandal. Well, the, the Georgia leader's in here, too, and her crown is just, like, floating an inch above her head because she doesn't have her any hair. <laughs> no hair, she's no just, eyebrows, she's but got no a magnet crowns on her head. That's just magnets. That's not defying physics. You just can't see it because it's under the crown. Yeah, Robert's got the hovering crown, too. Yeah, uh, speaking Caesar's. of Starcraft, it does look a bit Protoss-esque. So there you go. And Caesar has a floating laurel wreath. <laughs> so he must have some magnets in there, too. Yeah. Oh, but Kin from China, though, that's just... <laughs> that, is a... that hat does not work without the hair. Rosario, we know it's a podcast. You can't see these things, but they're funny. Gilgamesh looks, uh, it doesn't, like, he looks unusual, but he doesn't look too bad compared to many of the other ones. Yeah, I think Gilgamesh looks even weirder with the white hair that I see on my tablet. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would hair. definitely, definitely be weird. <laughs> Interesting. Cyrus without the hair reminds me of one of the F1 team bosses that left uh, earlier this year. 
look at him as like that and I'm going, wait, why do you look familiar now with no hair? Yeah, so uh, this one started by Civ Chimp. I uh, clicked the photo on Civ Fanatics here. And it, it's basically just calling out the patch change that buffed the tanks in modern armor by 5 strength in the late game. And questioning the usefulness of having such a big disparity between melee and heavy cav in the late game when they're using the same resource. And I broadly agree. The, the oil required for infantry thing has bothered me since its implementation. Yeah, uh, it, it's just kind of an awkward, awkward requirement that doesn't make a lot of sense. Heck, if you insist on giving them a resource requirement, like, just keep niter. I don't know that they even need that, but I mean, I think that would be fine. Well, especially considering that niter is used for like one unit in the entire game. Yeah. Well, two. The bombard as well, I guess, uses it. And do mm -hmm. frigates use it, or do frigates, frigates use iron? Yes. No, yeah, frigates there's a few units that use it. I, um, I think, but it falls frigus. out of use quickly, and it just doesn't make sense to have oil on both tanks and infantry. Like, especially if you think about it historically. Like, yeah, some of the support stuff for World War Two era infantry required oil, but it was not the principal use <laughs> of oil <laughs> at all. No, it was for the tanks, and the yeah. guns of the infantry still fired if they didn't have oil. Yeah, the tanks, oil planes, was maybe. Like, those things are all things you would associate oil. You have people with rifles in, like, in countries, and they they operate with very minimal oil relative to those things. Well, and, and even if you're going to, like, try to make a more abstract argument for, like, you need the oil to, like, get the infantry to the front lines and stuff like that, and they're supported by trucks and, you know, all that sort of thing. Like, yeah, that's true, but that's also more of, like, a logistics thing. That's more of just getting the unit to the front lines. Once they're at the front lines they don't need the oil anymore. So it's almost like an argument for like moving them on railroads and stuff like that should cost coal and or oil just to get them to the front or embarking should cost like one point of oil or doing an airdrop should cost like one resource of oil or something like that. And then, yeah, you're using the oil for the logistical aspect, but then once the unit's on the front line, it operates, you know, relatively independently unless it's supported by tanks and planes, which are using oil. But as for the strength disparity, eh, I don't, I don't think that's as big a deal at that point in the game, because now air power and uh, long-range fire is such, an, uh, such a factor that you really just need stuff that blocks the tanks to deal with them. Does artillery... Yeah, three-range artillery, three-range rocket artillery, like those things really, they hurt if they're not dealt with, and then bombers even more so. I forget, does artillery use oil now? No, I don't think so. I don't like any of the siege line. Oh wait, does it? I don't remember it doing it. I guess I'm but sorry, now, yeah. But I could be misremembering that. Yeah, or the other way to do it, I guess, would be to, if you want oil to be necessary for producing infantry, make it just, like, the upfront, you know, it costs 10 oil to build the unit, and get rid of the one oil per turn maintenance on it. 
that would be I another just... way to maybe you know get to what I was talking about, where you you model the oil that's used to produce and mobilize the unit, and not necessarily for it to operate. And I just checked it in the wiki; it does use oil. Okay. Oh, uh, what does artillery? <clears throat> artillery, yeah. Yeah, it makes I sense because it upgrades from a bombard, which has to have the niter. So they they should make they should, they should put niter on infantry still. Yeah. In my and opinion, art- artillery. Now, infantry is different. Like I'm kind of okay with that using oil, although yeah. then then you have tough choices. But yeah, it's kind of like they wanted to use something more modern, air quotes, you know. But it those big shells that get put in artillery still are using explosives and still using niter, basically. So yeah, and yeah, the art- you have to oil it up, but. The art, art, having both tanks and artillery using oil even, uh, still makes sense because they fill very different roles, right? Like, much, much more different than it a makes tank and infantry. more sense. But, like, you had artillery pieces that were not as reliant on being pulled around by mechanized and whatnot. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like proper mechanized tanks, planes, navies, those are all much more oil-consuming war assets than either artillery or infantry. And I would say artillery is more so than infantry. It's not like any of these took no fuel at all to use, obviously. But when it comes to usage as an abstract representation of resource requirements, it's almost comical to put tanks and infantry on a similar resource cost. The tanks don't move at all without oil. The infantry can move without oil. Yeah, and that's yeah, actually and a, they can fire without it too. Yeah, and that's actually a, a good point as well. Is it's not just that they both require oil, but it's the same cost. They're both one oil yeah. per turn. So if they had something where maybe like a tank costs two or three oil per turn, you and know, in maintenance, then one that would make more sense. Yeah, yeah. okay, that would also be. I, I still think Niter is a better representation still for infantry. Yeah. And I think but. I think Civ Four had rubber as a late game resource that was used for uh, infantry and maybe also Marines. You Civ Four had no resource requirement for infantry. Oh, uh, was it? Well, which one of the older games had rubber as a resource? Was it Civ Three then? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, that's. I don't know that I've played a Civ where you needed rubber to build things. That's the thing in Hearts of Iron, but I barely played Civ 3, so that could certainly be the case. Yeah, according to the uh, wiki, rubber was a resource in Civ 3. Yeah, you typed faster than me. I was thinking, yeah, that would make sense, because it also had saltpeter, which could also not appear anywhere in your empire. Oh, rubber did a lot more than I thought it did in Civ 3. It not only was used for infantry and marines, it was also for mech infantry, modern armor paratroopers uh and helicopters and also tanks did did the civ 3 also have multiple resources where like a tank would have oil and rubber because i find it i it's also weird for a tank yes. to use rubber but not use oil yeah because i just clicked on tank to check that it says resources required oil and rubber oh okay yeah totally couldn't make synthetic rubber totally and and that's something also that I wish Civ Five and Civ Six had done with some units because there's a lot of units where I feel like there should be multiple requirements. Like a battleship should probably be iron and oil. Like that would make sense. Because you have to use the iron to make the steel to make the battleship. 
Right. And then there's also, you know, those older, like, you know, classical and medieval resources that do fall out of use. And having a system where there's multiple resources that are required for a unit means that those older resources still stay in use. Even if you have something where, like, the battleship only requires one iron, but it requires two oil or something like that, where they're not, it's not the same quantities, but you still need to have those other resources. Yeah, and then you could still make infantry take oil, but it'd be like one night or one oil, whereas tanks are like three oil and one iron or something. Yeah, and to be honest, like in my opinion anyway, there's no shortage of strategic resources in Civ Six, especially by that point in the game. I've got lots of... In fact, in, in most cases, I've maxed out on, you know, iron, horses, and niter anyway, and there, there's just nothing to do because the AIs won't buy it anymore either because they're not using it for their units anymore. So yeah, you either either have to have more recent units still use those resources, or they really should find other uses for them, like in cities, like have buildings or districts or whatever that use them. Like, you know, I've, I've cited many times in the past, you know, I think a good, uh, something that might be cool would be to have like a racetrack building in your entertainment complex that consumes horses and generates amenity off of it. Oh, for a minute, I thought you were going to say take some of the oil and generate amenities. At a or, or have a choice where, yeah, you could, there, there's a system where you could maybe allocate one or the other. Like you can put horses in there for horse racing and maybe it, it generates one output. Or if you put oil in there, uh, it generates a different output, you know, because oh, you have man. car races. You're going to make people angry by saying one is better than the other. To be fair, Mackie, horses were available a bit earlier than cars, so you could probably yeah. work in the, the horse racing <laughs> a little earlier in the I think tech a little race. earlier, yeah, and I was also thinking it would be nice later because horses would, at least in the modern day, horses are more of a luxury resource. I mean, depending on where you are in the world. There are some places that still use horses and pack animals, I know, but in first world countries, for lack of a better way of putting it, horses are entertainment. Yeah, countries Usually. that have the resources intact, yeah. Yeah, so you get to a certain tech resource level and it clicks in that now your horses are a luxury resource. I do also think it was kind of weird in Civ Six how they do transition from uh, units in the early parts of the game requiring just lump sums of resources to build and then all the units later requiring it as per turn maintenance. Like, I always felt like that was just kind of a weird division. I, I think it might have something to do with the global warming mechanic or climate change mechanic where like the consumption of the resource per turn contributes to climate change uh I, I yeah because even if you forge thousands and thousands of swords it doesn't put out the amount of co2 at the at that forge that it does just to run a tank for a few days on an operation right but I like guess, from a but on on the world scale like the operation of military equipment is such a tiny proportion of any of this stuff that that's kind of an awkward way to model it. Well, and even if you go back to uh, to like classical and medieval, you know, military, like you still had to ship new iron to the front lines because you know swords broke, armor broke. You'd have to reforge mm-hmm. that stuff on the front lines. So it like still would make sense for there to be a per turn iron cost for your swordsman. Loose horses in a cavalry charge have to replace the horses to heal yeah exactly. The unit. Yeah, and, you know, maybe that should be a requirement for healing the thing. You know, when you click heal on a mounted unit, maybe it should consume a horse from your supply. They are through via maintenance, right? Well, but what I'm saying is there's no maintenance, ongoing maintenance for, for mounted units, at least not, maybe at the end of the game, I don't think so, but like a knight. Well, no, I was talking or, like, okay, I thought you were talking about consuming it separate from the introduction of the maintenance mechanic, but you're saying that the maintenance mechanic would do that. Okay, all right. 
Yeah, I mean, one or the other. Yeah, like, I was just bothered because it sounded like you were going for the double counting or something. It no, sense. I'm saying do, do one or the other. If you're going to pay maintenance, that's what it's for, right? Yeah, either have... <laughs> because they would, they would probably argue right now that it's abstracted as the maintenance you pay in gold in the earlier eras. Yeah, but and I'm suggesting, like, you know, you maybe have either an ongoing maintenance for those older units, or you have some system where, like I said, in order to heal the unit, it costs resources. You can do one or the other. And then it's not necessarily an ongoing thing where even if you're not using the swordsman, he's consuming iron. Because that makes less sense. But even then, like, just, you know, for training and stuff like that, you're still replacing that sword and replacing that armor periodically. Especially on the scale of hundreds of years that that, or thousands yes. of years that that swordman's <laughs> going to exist. The swordsman's alive, or the swordsman are literally the immortals, so yeah, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things in Civ Six with when it comes to strategic resources. I don't think strategic resources in the in the pre-modern era was as much of a bottleneck either, though. Like, yeah, you needed iron for your equipment, but that was not nearly as limited. Like, I've never heard of a historical scenario where somebody cut off somebody else's iron supply in order to make the opponent's army ineffective in the context of that war. Whereas that was very much a thing with fuel. Yeah. And food supplies as well. Or steal their horses if it was cavalry. Yeah, I mean, sure. But now you're talking about supply rating, not, like, strategic yeah. resource rating. Exactly. So you, you, <laughs> you didn't go to their iron mines and take all their iron so they couldn't fight you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, cutting off supply lines would be a thing, but that would be, like Mackie said, more uh, cutting off, like, food and water shipments. And, you know, maybe, yeah, there's some swords and armor in those supply convoys, too, but the big thing is you're cutting off their food. Yeah, or even more so if they can't get potable water. That's, like... <laughs> right. You can survive for a while, although not pleasantly, with without food, but water, much less time. Or you slip a little something into their supplies probably noticed though <laughs> i mean the game already abstracts this somewhat in that if you surround and pound units they tend to be much weaker and yeah you could somewhat say that represents flanking but it would also yeah. represent supply cutoff because even like infantry doing this have an advantage when you're doing it and yeah modeling supply trains on the scale of 20 years is awkward <laughs> it's true Supply changed a lot over the years, too, in military history. Like, it was never irrelevant, but there are times where it was much more or less relevant, and the things you needed to bring with you were uh, more or less challenging to do. Yeah, the there second... was a good amount of, like, quote-unquote, living off the land, so to speak, in pre-modern times. Yeah, and that's... In other words, that's you mimicked. forcibly take your enemies... <laughs> enemy stuff from like their populations and that that is modeled in the game by uh you know pillaging farms yeah Um, i I don't know that the game needs to go into gross detail for that sort of thing that's not the scale that civ operates on it it is kind of interesting how much it changed like cutting off supply is way more significant in the world war eras than any time before it where like, cutting off supply would not mean the same thing. <laughs> Feel like a 1700s army. Yeah, because earlier they carried all of their supply with them or did the live off the land type thing. It's only in the modern thing that you have to have the, more, 
I mean, they had riverine shipping. They had, I mean, they they had logistics where they brought stuff to the front that the soldiers needed, but it wasn't the same, and it wasn't nearly as long. And yeah, rivers were a huge deal in a lot of areas, and where there weren't, they changed how things operated. Well, there's also like everyone in that time period was armed, so even if you do like pillage or plunder like a small village you're gonna probably find replacement swords right because even some of the civilians might have stuff like that sitting around that the the military can repurpose and use you don't you don't typically tools of some kind that that could be yeah yeah that you could break down and and smelt or something like that i don't know if you can i don't know if that was something that was done like in the field uh but yeah like you don't typically somebody's axe like okay yeah maybe the axe isn't as good as a sword but if you're holding a shield on an axe you can still kill the guy in front of you. Right, or you use it as a throwing axe or something like that. Probably not. <laughs> I'd be very impressed that you could do anything in an actual military setting by throwing axes and crap. <laughs> well, especially axes designed as tools. Oh yeah, that definitely probably would not work. No, they did uh, some of the scythes that, like, for cutting plants or whatever. They would they would alter the affix how it was affixed on the top, so it was more like a spear. Uh, that was something that you would see, like budget levies and crap do. But yeah, you get so to like they didn't actually like it, not like anime where they like come in with the scythe still, but they would modify it so it was it was a pointy end and a, a pole with a pointy end is pretty good in military. Yeah, and it's not like you know a, a World War era where if you uh, pillage a little village, you're not going to get like a bunch of oil and gasoline. To fuel your tanks <laughs> no. by by pillaging a farm, <laughs> like maybe somebody, uh, well, you know, maybe not in World War One, maybe in World War Two, you might have had some people with portable generators and they've got you know diesel fuel sitting around, but like you're not fueling an entire army of uh, an entire core of tanks from yeah. <laughs> pillaging someone's portable generator diesel uh, on a farm. Yeah, your German tanks rolling through the French countryside, and you pillage a farm, and your health recovery is actually your morale recovery because you found a wine cellar. Mm. Definitely will make the troops fight better. Yeah, there's also... make it hurt less. (laughs) In the thread, there's also the second post from uh, Oralesk has a a proposal that's kind of in the same line of thinking as, as some of the stuff I was saying, where uh, oil wouldn't be a strategic cost, but it would be strategic maintenance. I'm not quite sure what the what he means in the the difference between that two, but it would be strategic maintenance would apply only if the unit has attacked, uh, defended, or moved during the turn. So you pay the maintenance when you use the unit, not just for having the unit. So if it's just sitting garrisoned in a city, uh, you know its maintenance cost is negligible. I can see that. But yeah, I think we have enough strategic resources as it is. So I I would rather just make tanks a more costly investment relative to infantry. Well, you can also mix and match a decent historical uh, abstraction. You can also mix and much. You can also mix and match the approaches where maybe there is just a base one resource cost, and then there's an additional resource cost for using the unit. And if you don't have the resources to pay to use the unit, then its efficiency is decreased. Like, if you're out of oil, uh, the movement speed of your tanks is halved, and its combat strength is reduced. You know, stuff like that. Your tank can't move! Get wrecked! 
Well, I, I don't think making it immobile is is going to be fair or fun to play. But yeah, reducing its <laughs> movement speed is is something that could definitely be done. Your tank is one movement point. But yeah, I, I always thought that in, in Civ Six and Civ Five, like I, I always wished for like railroads and airdrops and stuff like that to just cost a a movement point. Like I always felt like moving on the railroad should cost. It shouldn't be building the railroad that costs the coal. It should be moving on the railroad that costs the coal. You know? Yeah. I guess. You're bringing back bad memories with the road stuff after so far, though. <sighs> They're a bit less annoying in Civ 6. Although I still don't like the reduction in control and choice on how you place them. You just have to build a butt-ton of military engineers. Yeah, I guess you could. Just have one city that does nothing but produce military engineers, and then you can build roads wherever you want. It's definitely nice that building a railroad does not cost a charge. (laughs) (laughs) That would just be unbearable. (laughs) Only only being able to build two stretches of railroad and then having to friggin' spend another six turns building another dang military engineer. Railroads have also been nerfed quite a bit over the years. Because weren't they, like, unlimited movement at some point in the earlier civs? I think, weren't they? Wasn't that the case in Civ 4? No, it just felt like it because they had, like, you had 10 points of movement on the road. And if your base movement, yeah, I mean, it, was, it was stupid. You could get almost anywhere. But it was not technically unlimited. If you had a big enough continent, like, if you were moving from China to Europe on the, the huge Earth map, your units would take more than one turn to get there on rail. But they can still go pretty darn far. Kind of a quirk of that game's movement rules that the fastest way to get between continents was from uh, Brazil to Africa, and then you'd have cities with rails. You just rail your way across the Sahara. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Because that would totally work in real life. Theoretically, yes. Practically, no. Uh, yeah, I'd be very interested to see how railroads are maintained on the Sahara. <laughs> that would be fascinating. Especially if it was a steam arrow with all the water they needed. Yeah, but even modern rails. Like, <laughs> how does the Star Wars clerk go, go? But it would be a problem. <laughs> I uh, I also of course, and it gets everywhere, including on your tracks. <laughs> Sand, I don't like it. It's coarse, irritating. It gets everywhere. Yes. <laughs> like one penny might not derail your train, but if the entire track is covered in sand for like a mile, your train is probably not staying on track anymore. As much as the sand dunes would move, yes, after a while, unless you were regularly plowing through there every couple of days. I mean, that's true too. Unless you really set foundation with something other than the terrain available, you would have difficulty just keeping the tracks intact, regardless of them being covered. But them being covered would be a serious problem, too. Skimming through a little bit more of this uh, forum topic, I do also want to point out that uh, this problem isn't unique to tanks and uh, infantry. It actually goes back to even 
uh, swordsmen and knights because I think both of those require iron. Uh, knights and Sig yeah, six do a not bit require. Away, technologically. Yeah. But uh, it's also kind of funny that knights in Civ Six do not require horses. They require iron instead. So you have another similar situation <laughs> where if you have the iron available, the knight is the better unit to build. I, I don't know that, I, that that's really a comparable scenario, though, because swordsmen are available so much earlier. We're talking, like, different eras at this point. Yeah, that's... Uh, true, but I mean, I I think you can make a similar argument even for tanks and infantry because it just depends on how you tech. That's true, but they are closer to each other in practice, especially because by then you're researching more quickly as well. Yeah. But yeah, swords are something like you could beeline, whereas knights, you need to set up some empire infrastructure to get there quickly. Yeah, and now with the extra... Uh, infantry units that Fraxis added in the most recent patch, that problem also, I guess, holds up throughout the entire game as well, because, uh, what is it, uh, Carrossiers and, uh, uh, well, no, because I guess at that point, uh, you have the line infantry, which is a knighter unit, so I guess the men-at-arms is iron, so probably the more apt comparison would be men-at-arms and knights. Yeah. In this case, because uh, I think the men-at-arms do require iron as well. But, but uh, not, uh, there's not a ten point differential between them and knights. No, and, and you're you're probably most of your men at arms are probably going to come from having upgraded swordsmen. Yeah. Although I guess a lot of your knights are probably coming from upgraded chariots. So. But I mean, that's kind of the poster's point, right? Like, there the difference between infantry and tanks is much more pronounced than earlier eras. Yeah, I mean, I just haven't had an opportunity to play much with the men at arms, so I haven't really gotten a feel for. Uh, for their strength relative to other units. I will say that I have been using the new trebuchets, and uh, they work very well. They do not just die on the first bombardment from a city. They actually do have been surviving long enough for me to get several bombards off before I have to retreat and heal them. Interesting. And uh, in several cases, they actually survive long... They survive enough bombardments against ancient or medieval walls uh, to get a promotion before they die. So I promote it, heal it, and then get to keep, you know, using it. Oh, that's way better than a catapult. It just depends largely on uh, the strength of the the walls, you know, what the highest strength a unit the opponent has built. Because if they built some really good, really powerful melee unit, then yeah, their walls are just going to cut through everything. Well, if you're attacking while you're behind in tech, then that's a problem. Yeah, but anyway, I can't vouch for the how well the men-at-arms work, but I will say that the trebuchets are definitely a very positive addition to the game. I can't believe it took this long for trebuchets to get added, considering that three levels of walls were always in the game from the start. <laughs> Not that most of us act like that's true. And when it comes to building them. Oh no, I have to do two things at once. Anyway, it's been episode 386 of Polycast. I'm Makalu, and with me as usual, me and team. Sometimes the solution really is just to throw a bigger rock. <laughs> Mega Bears fan? Oh, crap. I don't have a witty outro. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, uh, Candace will find one for you when he's back next time, I guess. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, 6, Sound Clips, Copyright Take 2, and copyright the polycast at thepolycast.net.